0: And tonight you are listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX. My name is Hannah Bird and I will be your host this evening. It's a lovely late spring day with the rain and I know we've just had that little surge of heat that's also been bringing all of our grasses on and our flowers. So... Today we're going to enjoy a conversation with a grizzly core fellow and if you don't know what that is don't worry all will be explained our wonderful fellow currently here at the UC Hopland Research and Extension Center is Chloe Wanacelia Chloe is also one of our Hopland scholars and that means somebody who has come to our site here to learn And in the process, we often learn from those people as well. And I've certainly learned a great deal from Chloe this year. Our Hopland scholars are also folks who have benefited from the wonderful donations that our generous supporters have offered to us here at the Hopland Research and Extension Center over time. So thank you so much to all of our donors. I hope you enjoy hearing from Chloe about what she's learned from the site and also how she's supported the site with the work she's been taking, that's been taking place. I started by asking Chloe to tell us a little bit about what the Grizzly Core program is. Thank you, Hannah.
1: <laughs> I'm super happy to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm Chloe. Hello. I use she, her, they, them pronouns. Um, and... Yeah. What is Grizzly Corps? So Grizzly Corps is an 11-month AmeriCorps fellowship. It's out of the UC Berkeley Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment. Um, And we have about 35 fellows across the state positioned in various rural communities in California that are doing climate resiliency capacity building work in um, agriculture and forest landscapes. So Here at HREC. um, it's kind of in the middle between agriculture and forest because we have a lot of rangeland, but my fellows across the state, um, most of them are working more in agriculture or more in forests. And I really love the cohort system because um, we are able to have a community right out of college. It's also very
0: much a, um, a career development program. That's awesome, so I'm really intrigued And maybe you can tell me, the UC Berkeley Center that was connected with AmeriCorps for this, that's the Center for Law, Energy and the Environment. Environment. Mm -hmm. It seems as if they and AmeriCorps felt like rural areas had a particularly important part to play in consideration of climate resiliency why, why, why are rural areas important? (laughs) Totally. Well, this was actually one of our application questions
1: for Grizzly Corps. (laughs) Good. Please share. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the big things that I think is important um, is that so often there's, we see this across the world, but I think it's I've noticed it most in California because I grew up here. Mm -hmm. Um, A really big divide between urban and rural residents. Um, And, you know, which makes sense, most of the rural residents are the ones who are managing a majority of our lands in California and are doing a lot of the on the ground climate resiliency work. Mm-hmm. But the people who tend to be making the decisions around that work are normally in cities mm-hmm. and don't have nearly as much hands-on experience. And so I think that's one of the things that's the most exciting to me about Grizzly Corps is that um a lot of the folks who have who are fellows in the program um come from cities. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily come from rural backgrounds and so they have a really different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um and are trying to bridge that divide between um, sort of what we think of as classic, environment, you know, like stereotypical environmentalists who are mm. like um, going on marches and <laughs> writing policy or, you know, whatever, um, using their electric bikes versus, <laughs> <laughs> um, versus ranchers or, um, foresters or, um, tribal members or, you know, lots of different people who are doing a lot of the hands-on land management work. Um, yeah, so I think that, like, bridging the urban-rural divide and trying to create better relationships between the people who are managing the land and the people who control a lot of the monetary resources, and then, um, also, within, I guess, like state policy, um, a lot of the lands that are thought of as like conservation lands are actually being actively worked. And another part of that, another way to sort of connect um, or, or rural capacity building around climate resilience is um, thinking about the California 30 by 30 initiative, Um which was an executive order by Gavin Newsom to conserve 30% of California's um, land and coastal uh, ecosystem by 2030. Um, and a lot of what is defined as conserved is um, still working landscapes. So forests that are being actively managed or logged sustainably or lands that are being grazed or otherwise used. Mm -hmm. Um, I think other types of farmland also, though I'm not entirely sure about that. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, on a more like large California-level political scale. That's Mm -hmm. another part of it too, is that um, lands that are being actively managed, that people are getting monetary benefit from, are also benefiting people and the ecosystem in a lot of other ways if they're managed with the ecosystem in mind. Mm -hmm. And so building those practices and that resiliency is important.
0: Awesome. So I I appreciate you taking us up to that statewide level. I'm gonna bring us all the way back down to your individual level right now because I would really like to ask you before I hear more about what you've been doing as a Grizzly Core fellow, I'd love to ask you because I see you as actually a literal bridge between the urban and the rural communities because you yourself grew up in an urban neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested as to what it was that, obviously you are motivated by this subject, but what was it that took you toward this kind of work in these, in these rural communities
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it comes from um, having a a huge amount of privilege in terms of access to the outdoors and um, access to being outside and the knowledge around how to feel comfortable in those spaces from an early age. Um, My parents both grew up being outside a lot, and so I got to go camping a lot and also You know, Berkeley is an urban area, but there are also, um, it's also relatively wealthy, and there are a huge amount of um, parks nearby and some really, really beautiful, um, wild or, you know, less human managed spaces Mm
2: -hmm.
1: nearby. Um, And so I got to go camping my entire childhood, and, um, you know, some of my best memories are. Being in the Berkeley Hills and seeing the newts in the winter time, um, so I I would say while I did grow up in a population center in California, I also had a lot of access to the outdoors, and that built my personal connection and relationship to that from an early age. And so I think like my um, my motivation to be working in the environmental sphere more broadly and um, is really one of, like, a a personal sense of of love and responsibility Mm -hmm. to the land um, and to the ecosystem that I grew up with. Um, And then with rural communities specifically, I think um, it was kind of an interesting journey. A lot of it kind of had to do with the pandemic, actually, Mm -hmm. um, because the places where uh, I was able to continue to live a life that was a little bit less halted by mm-hmm. the pandemic were in more rural spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a semester off of college, and I went to Alaska to work on a political campaign. And I got to talk to a lot of people in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is a population center for Alaska, but it's very rural for like most of the rest of at least the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just so struck by how much knowledge everybody had about the land there and how much they took care of each other and how resilient their communities are and, um, yeah, how tied they are to the land in terms of I would call somebody and they'd say, oh, yeah, you know, I see the geese flying overhead. That means I need to get my the last touches on my house before the winter like, yeah, I can't help you make phone calls. I'm going out moose hunting. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, when are you going to be back? And they're like, oh, when the river freezes over. Um, and so, yeah, from there, I, I did school remotely and worked on a ranch in the hill, in the mountains of Santa Barbara. And mm-hmm. so I think actually just getting the opportunity to spend time in rural communities was, was really important to me um, in terms of being drawn to that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think... Um, it's a way to build and maintain a relationship to land that feels um, a lot more like sustainable in terms of being able to sustain it on a daily basis mm-hmm. because so much more of the work is more directly related to land and that's something that um, I would have liked more of growing up. Mm. Um, was that sort of experience of reciprocity with the land. And so that's something that's been really, really compelling to me, living and working in rural communities. Also, like, in terms of being less dependent on making a lot of money and more dependent on um, building relationships and community, I think that that community aspect of being in the countryside is is really exciting to me and also things like making your own food or you know foraging like or you know mending your own things or fixing your own car all of these things that um in the city aren't nearly as common but feel really exciting to me thinking about the future of how we're going to respond to climate change and be resilient and go back to a more local scale where we're not dependent on these global systems of um, resource distribution, Mm -hmm. I think um, there's a lot of knowledge in rural communities that I think is only gonna become more important. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like my friends in the city are all like, oh yeah, I would really like to learn about how to identify mushrooms versus my friends here. during their work as foresters are going out and finding lots of mushrooms and then bringing them back to dinner and sharing them Mm -hmm. so i guess that's sort of an example
0: Mm. yeah thank you for sharing that i love hearing your kind of personal philosophy on this i think it's a lot for us to learn too Mm -hmm. um i'm really intrigued and i promise you i will get to asking you about your particular fellowship but i also find it interesting and i should acknowledge here that um there is a generational difference in us and you are a younger person <laughs> than I am. <laughs> and with that being said, um, and that is in no way to undermine all that you're bringing here, but I'm mm-hmm. just interested in the recognising that different generation and mm-hmm. different um, group of people that you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a really interesting point about how your experience as a child that your parents took you out and you were camping and so you were not afraid of being outdoors. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the um, other members of your peer group in the city have a different feeling about uh, being in a rural area or just being out in wild spaces?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously not all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think... I mean, yeah, when I think about it, it makes me really sad. And also really, like, if I really think about it, it makes me angry. Um, Because I, everybody has a right to access to land and to that relationship. I think it's a huge part of what makes us human. And um, I mean, when you ask me that, I I immediately think about um, land displacement. And I've seen with my friends and peers of colour especially, that the outdoors can be um, associated with danger and historical trauma. And that's something that, you know, has a long history in the United States and elsewhere.
0: I appreciate you sharing a little about that. I find that fascinating to consider myself about I find it, I think about it often about how comfortable I do feel in lots of outdoor situations and how that isn't the same across the board. Yeah. And I think particularly, you know, we're we're speaking to our listeners in Mendocino County mm-hmm. here, many of whom are um, living in uh, these rural rural areas and mm-hmm. um, recognizing the, the the benefits that we get from that. And yeah. of course, there are challenges too. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time for us to move on to. I have one more thing I want to say about that. Yeah,
1: I think um, one of the things that I have sort of been learning over the past few years is that um, it the importance of intergenerational knowledge in terms of feeling comfortable outside, um, because, you know, if you're going to the beach, for example, I don't remember my parents teaching me how to build a sandcastle, but... If I were a kid going out there without my parents I wouldn't know how to do that. Mm. I wouldn't really think about that and I shouldn't expect a kid who's never been to the beach before to understand how to do that or to understand how to interact with the water and how to be safe or anything like that. And so I think a lot of that um, fear in relation to... um, in relation to trauma is a fear of the unknown it's not really um, like because anything is inherently um, different or that people don't want to be connecting Um, I think it's a lot more just not feeling entirely comfortable or not entirely knowing how Mm -hmm. and so that which we'll probably talk about more in a little bit, is something that's really exciting to me about the work that I've been doing here Mm -hmm. um, and feels really important. Not that I'm necessarily always the best position to be teaching somebody about how to be interacting with their landscape, Mm -hmm. um, but that sense of comfort has really helped me, Mm -hmm. and I've seen that um, times when I can provide resources resources either like tents or like here's how to filter your water or that sort of thing um it can make those sort of spaces feel a lot more welcoming
0: mm. thank you for sharing that it reminds me of an interview we did on the ecology hour oh a good few months back now with a really wonderful woman Esme Plasencia who mm-hmm. is our Latino outdoors representative in this area mm-hmm. and is an environmental educator as well and mm-hmm. she was sharing some of her experience of for her parents, when they moved to Mendocino County, um, with Spanish as their first language, mm-hmm. um, and not um, being able to access some of the public spaces because they just didn't know they existed or that they were welcome there. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. I definitely want to move on now to just discuss all the things you've been doing mm-hmm. as a Grizzly Core Fellow here. It's great to get a mm-hmm. foundation of the things you care about. Mm-hmm as a as a person (laughs) and now you've come into this grizzly core position at the university of california hopland research and extension center um what kinds of projects have you been working on
1: yeah oh man this is (laughs) i've talked about this so much with various people over the year because one of the things that's really exciting about grizzly core is that there isn't very much like it at least in california um, I haven't heard very much about anything like it. And so a lot of people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is what is it again? <laughs> what are you spending your time with? Um, so the way that I normally explain it is that half of what I'm doing is education and outreach, and half of it is um, direct land management and planning for our 5,300-plus acre site here. And so the education side of it, um, I've been helping you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, my pleasure. Um, doing a variety of uh, land-based education activities, all pretty much all here at the site. And so that's the extension part of the Hopland Research and Extension Center, um, is using the resources that we have here Um, using the ecosystem in order to teach people um, about our landscape and our ecosystems and our natural resources. And so um, we have a lot of students coming for field trips, and there are some one-off events, but the majority of the work has been um, three different chunks of field trips. One, we we have sheep here, so we had lambing field trips in January, and then we had Um, we just finished our fire science field trips. So the lambing ones were little elementary schoolers, lots of little baby lambs and small children, and it was super cute. Um, and then our, we had our, um, our fire science field trips with middle schoolers talking about, um, indigenous land management practices, uh, fire, forest ecology, um, modeling forest behavior, um. And then we're about to start our birding field trips, which I still don't know that much about yet, which I'm excited
0: about. We will do soon.
1: (laughs) Seriously, I'll know a lot more about it very soon. Um, Yeah, and then some other events throughout the year, California Naturalist and uh, Nature Fest and um, some other (laughs) classes and things like that. Um, And then the other side of it has been... um, Direct land management and also planning for land management here. And so that's mostly been with John, who's our executive director. Um, and so I've been helping, we're potentially going to have cattle coming into the site in the next year, couple years, few years. Um, and so mapping sensitive habitat um, on the upper pastures to make sure that the cattle have the most ecological benefits as possible, protecting some sensitive areas, working on mapping infrastructure um, and talking, building connections with various rangeland people in the area. Um, We have a carbon farm plan, um, which is super exciting.
0: So I'm going to stop you there just for a second because I'd love you to expand on what a carbon farm plan is.
1: Yeah. So a carbon farm plan is typically written by a lot of different people. It's not really like a, a one-person thing. So I know our main collaborator was the Mendocino Resource Conservation District, but we also had uh, Fibershed and some other organizations too. Chime in if you remember off the top of your head, <laughs> Hannah. Um, and that was um, written in large part by our last Grizzly Core fellow, Mona. Um, and it's basically a plan about how to, what sort of practices we want to be implementing in order to um, sequester carbon and reduce carbon emissions. And so there are lots of different practices associated with that, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a smorgasbord of all of the different things that we can and should do at the center Mm -hmm. to be able to Um, build climate resiliency into the work that we've been doing. So Mm -hmm. examples of that are applying compost onto rangeland and building hedgerows and restoring riparian habitats and um, having more trees incorporated into the landscape. Lots of things that put carbon into plants or into the soil. Um, Yeah, so figuring out how to actually implement that Mm -hmm. has been a, a decent chunk of what I've been doing Mm -hmm. um, because we have such a big site here and so many different possibilities Mm -hmm. that prioritizing them was really important. And um, also making connections around funding and how we actually, um, you know, how we actually do the work Mm -hmm. and who has the experience to tell us how to do it in a way that is actually going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, carbon farm plan, cattle lease, and related to the cattle lease, also doing some um, some monitoring for plants. So we're because we're a research station, we're trying to we are bringing in cattle in order to have them be used for research related to cattle grazing in the area. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to get some um, baseline monitoring of our grasslands in order for researchers to be able to ask various questions later on. And so one of the big things around that has been species composition, which I've been doing a lot of. So going out with a 50 meter transect and putting down a little one meter square and looking really closely at every single plant that's there Mm -hmm. and trying to identify all of them and then saying what percent composition of that little plot they are. And then going back to those same sites year after year in order to see with grazing how mm-hmm. those plants, like who's there, if that changes. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I've been learning a lot about plants recently, which has been super exciting. So tell tell me, having just been doing those plots, mm-hmm. I'm interested, what are you seeing out there at the moment? What's What have you been finding on our grasslands? Yeah, so
1: I think probably, I mean... I I can't really say in relation to previous years very well because this is my first year here. But my understanding is that there are a lot more wildflowers than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that the uh, development of the plants is way later this year than normal because it's been so cold. And so <laughs> I've been seeing um, a lot of vetch. Um, you know, mostly the non-native vetch with lovely little purple flowers um i'm pulling up my list of uh <laughs> observations on iNaturalist um i've been seeing a lot of monkey flowers and scarlet pimpernel and some milk thistle a lot of our grasses are just starting to seed so i'm going to be able to identify those i'm seeing some purple needle grass especially on our serpentine now, that one's a,
0: a native grass, yes right? yeah
1: that's a native bunch grass mm-hmm. um I've been seeing um, some, yeah, some a lot of patches of western blue-eyed grass, Mm -hmm. which is um, a really, Cicerynchium bellum, which is a a beautiful California uh, native wildflower. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm pretty sure it's a perennial. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got um, six petals and it's kind of light- periwinkle into purple um, and you can have sort of carpets of them across the hillside. I'm also seeing a lot of dandelion and clover and thistles and some blue dicks, aka dipteros demon capitatus.
0: I have to stop you there because I'm very excited, (laughs) partly because we both have been working with school groups Mm -hmm. and Obviously, sharing a plant name, Blue Dicks, has got me into trouble with some (laughs) school groups. I have just found out that Mm -hmm. it is now being changed to being referred to commonly as Blue Dips, D-I-P-S. That's awesome. Due to a change, or maybe not a change, but Mm -hmm. remind me, what was the Latin name? Dipteros, steam on Capitata. So I think there maybe dips. was a change there too. And so I think that saves cool. us all a little embarrassment <laughs> when we're on public hikes, but also probably robs a little bit of the sniggery joy of sharing that name the old style yeah no that's
1: fun that's cool I'm sure that people will still refer to them as blue dicks in order for people to remember
0: yeah no I only found that out through the California Native Plant Society um, Facebook page the other day but it it made me both happy and a little sad that's awesome that's awesome that's funny
1: I'm very curious what the various native names for it are because Mm -hmm. I know that Um, I've been seeing a lot of miner's lettuce also, and I recently learned that the Ohlone word for miner's lettuce is ruret, which is really exciting for me to know because I've heard it be called miner's lettuce and also Indian lettuce, Mm. Um, but it's a very common Mm. and very delicious native edible Mm. plant and so it feels a lot more appropriate to call it by at mm-hmm. least one of its traditional names. Um, I think it's oh, it's good for yeah. us to remember, isn't it, that yeah. any of these
0: names that we use mm-hmm. are just that, names, yeah, that exactly. different people have brought in um, and often will be based upon whatever use they have found for totally. it, which will change depending on somebody's um, exposure to a landscape. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No, It's it's been... It's been really cool to remember that um, and to think about also how, you know, um, how used to the different names or the different plants, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're probably a lot more used to being called what they were called since time immemorial or for, you know, tons of thousands of years than they are whatever we're calling them now. Yeah, And so I think um, learning the indigenous names for them um, I like to think of it as, as showing respect for them. Um, yeah, so it's, it's cool to think about that. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily like that's the only name either, but mm-hmm. it's one that um, there's a much longer relationship with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the time is 7.30 p.m., and you are listening to KZYX Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. We are in the middle of a conversation with Chloe Wanacelia, Grizzly Core Fellow at the UC Hopland Research and Extension Center.
1: So those are a lot of the things I've been seeing. Also, you know, a lot of grass, um, a lot of uh, cleavers and, you know, like catchweed bedstraw and... um, a lot of and the little like storks bill, mm-hmm. tiny little purple flowers, this mm-hmm. came up really early, also the popcorn flowers, mm-hmm. so lots of different things. I've been learning so many plants, yeah, you really to see all the le- the leaves come out on the oak trees, which has been super yeah. wonderful, yeah. so you
0: really when you first came here, did mm-hmm. you have all of these in your brain to start with, or has this been a real learning on in, in your time in the position
1: i um most of it has been learning just mm. in the past few weeks, which is super exciting. I can't tell you all of those names off the top no, of my head. No, that's fine. Don't worry. You don't but, need to. But yeah, <laughs> that's but yeah, I think a lot of them I recognized, but I didn't know the names for. And mm. that was actually one of the things I was most excited about mm. for this year was that I knew I was going to learn a lot of plants mm. um, because I knew I was going to be doing this species composition work. So this field work that I've been doing more recently is something I was looking forward to for the entire time. Mm. And I'm finally getting to do it now, which is great. Mm. Um, it's been such a good temperature this time, mm. this year compared to other years when the same work has been being done I've been mm. getting to go out in 60 or 70 or 80 degrees instead of 90 or 95 um, one of the the researchers um, grassland ecologists Valerie everner who's been super helpful um, in this process're modeling our methods for species composition after work that she has done and is currently doing here Um... She was saying that right after the fire um, that she was doing her species composition plots and it was, you know, 95 degrees on the roads. And then when you got onto the plots, it was even hotter because the ground was black. And so it was soaking in all of that heat also. So, mm-hmm. And then the year after that, it was thistles up to their chests. So <laughs> I've gotten pretty lucky this year. Um, it's been pretty perfect. Yeah, so that's, that's another thing I've been doing. Cattle lease, um, carbon farm plan, monitoring in relation to the cattle lease. Um, and then I've also been doing some work around indigenous relations, Um, I've been, John has been super generous in sharing his um, sort of experiences with and um, kind of report backs, I guess, from various conversations he's had with tribal leaders. Um, And so I've been recognizing that I'm only here for a year, um, so that being sort of community facing is probably not the most appropriate thing for me to be doing because I'm or you know it's not necessarily the most effective thing for me to be doing because I'm going to be leaving soon and so if I'm the one who's trying to be visibly building relationships and then I go it's not necessarily going to be super helpful Um, but I've been doing a fair amount of behind the scenes like uh, email and poster writing, and um, survey creation, and um, building tribal contact lists, Mm -hmm. and um, educating myself and providing resources for staff, and that sort of
0: thing, Um, that's been super, super meaningful. Mm -hmm. And Um, we we really exciting. thank you for the time (laughs) that you've spent in that area of work, Mm -hmm. and I know it's something that you care about very deeply. Yeah
1: yeah no that's it's been it's been really really meaningful it's been really exciting and um a really exciting thing that happened really recently in relation to that was that last friday well actually a bit before then we um you and i went to the earth day event for the haplman of pomo indians and we were tabling there um doing a little bit of our fire science curriculum and we were invited to the um, the cultural burn that the Hopla Men of Pomo Indians had last Friday that was in part organized by the Tribal Eco-Restoration Alliance out of Lake County. So I was able to go last Friday as an observer, which was super amazing. Um, that was felt like sort of a, a culmination of a lot of the work that I'd been doing. And I got to meet some people that I'd Heard a lot about and talked with a little bit over the course of the year in person for the first time. Mm-hmm. And also, that was my first experience actually seeing um, a broadcast burn, a burn across the landscape instead of just a, a pile burn. Um, and it was also, you know, really especially exciting because um, it had so many uh, other sort of components to it, too. Mm-hmm. It was also very explicitly a burn to promote. Um, basket weaving materials and also to bring good fire back on the landscape and um, revitalize these traditions of uh, cultural burning and um, there are a lot of really exciting partnerships and collaborations the US Forest Service was there too and Cal Fire and everyone was getting along really well and <laughs> um, really, really generous with their knowledge and time and um super welcoming and it was it's something that I've been learning so much about this year that's the other sort of big thing that I've been um working on is restoration specifically focusing on bringing prescribed fire back to the landscape here at HREC um and so coordinating with the prescribed burn association and um the ANR advisors um, and employees. Like and the
0: ANR, I know we tr- we've oh, sent yes, into acronyms so easily. Is the, <laughs> did you want to explain Yeah, yeah.
1: So we're part of the UC Agriculture and Natural Resources Department. And um, so ANR stands for Agriculture and Natural Resources. Thank you, Hannah. Um, so there are advisors associated with that who are um, sharing, sort of doing that work of communicating uh, research to community members and um, getting input from community members around what sort of research should be happening mm. in relation to agriculture and natural resources. And so um, Mike Jones and, and Kyle Farmer have been super helpful in that process too. Um, and I know that they were on one of your ecology hours recently, They most right? certainly were, yeah. and they are
0: due to be actually hosting the ecology hour, and um, they their focus is going to be the disturbance ecology mm, hour because they awesome. are... Um, care deeply about that and see that as being really where um, a lot of our learning in the world of ecology is these days yeah Yeah, which super exciting yeah Yeah, definitely
1: tune into that one too yeah Yeah, so I've I've learned so much from them and have been really really grateful for everything that they've shared Um, and I'm hoping to have at least one prescribed burn On site here before I leave. That's everybody's goal. We'll see if it happens. There are a lot of different things that go into that. Um, But yeah, so those are (laughs) very long answers. (laughs) Normally I shorten it, but if somebody really wants to know, I do tell them that much about what I've been doing because there are so many different things. So to sum it up, (laughs) education, mostly field trips, lambing, fire science, birding, um, and then land management which would be um carbon farm plan cattle lease indigenous relations fire slash restoration what oh and also outreach and social media but i guess that's sort of part of education
0: yeah Yeah. gosh that's a lot and you know you're not even quite at the end of the year at this point there's another few months to go so um do you feel like this has been a good learning experience for you
1: (laughs) Can you imagine if I said no after all of that?
0: I mean, <laughs> I would air it because our listeners want to hear your truthful statement Teresa. no
1: no i, I <laughs> no, I've learned so much. I've been so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think one of the the most meaningful parts of this for me has been how generous everybody has been with their knowledge and experience, and also how much people have um simultaneously treated me with a huge amount of respect and an assumption that I know what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. Um, and especially as, you know, this being my first full-time job ever. Um, but you know, out of college, that's been really huge and something that is not true across the board, and I'm really, really grateful for it. So it's been super wonderful.
0: Yeah, I'd I maybe step out of my host role for a second and into my Hopland Research and Extension <laughs> Center role and just say that we definitely have learned a lot from you, and I think that that's really where this process is in its best form mm-hmm. is that, yes, I hope that Grizzly Core Fellows come to us and will 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 benefit from learning experiences on the site. But mm-hmm. every time we have a Grizzly Core Fellow here, they come to us with a perspective on things, which is so important. Um, and it's going to be something that helps to build our breadth of knowledge and experience. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for everything that you've been bringing here. Oh, it's yeah. a lot. yeah. I do, so I was happy that you kind of shared some of the um, areas that you've enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I can't help but want to just hear, is there any, (laughs) are there any highlights, any things that will stick with you um, as you go on? And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you might want to take on to the future. Yeah,
1: (laughs) absolutely. Um, Okay, well, really, I mean, the, the cultural burn that I went to, last Friday, I will definitely take on. That was a huge highlight. Um, Most times that I've gotten to be outside, um, walking across the landscape with Kyle and Mike and um, having them talk about how they would expect the fire to move through in different conditions and um, really just being around so many people who have Um, a literacy for the landscape that I hadn't really gotten to experience very much Mm -hmm. before, whether it's more focused on botany or hydrology or disturbance ecology or Mm -hmm. um, something like that. I I really like to nerd out and (laughs) it's something that I've really missed being out of school because I studied ecology. I studied ecology, and so um, I got a lot of that sort of geeky, nerdy sort of situation in college, and it's wonderful to be able to transfer that to the quote-unquote real world also. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our field trips have been wonderful. Um, I've loved bottle feeding our education <laughs> lamb. That was super fun. <laughs> um, and I think also the the fire science field trips especially, those have been... Um, you were, <laughs> you were a little bit. Um, how do I say this? Uh, <laughs> you you really hyped up working with the elementary schoolers, and then you said, "Oh yeah, now we have to deal with middle schoolers. This is going to be quite an experience." Um, and so I was definitely feeling a bit apprehensive before we started. But I've actually really loved working with middle schoolers. I think it's been really really cool. I think I mean, as we're saying about this intergenerational. Um, consideration I uh, have I seem I'm a lot closer in age to the middle schoolers and I remember what it was like to be in middle school and so I I feel like I'm able to come with this empathy and also some sort of cultural similarities. I always dress up for them. Yeah, they like that. I wear my little edgy outfits and lots of, (laughs) you know, metal jewelry. And (laughs) I get a comment on my fashion most of the time. (laughs) That's super fun. It makes me really happy. Um, And so I think because of that, the way that they engage with me is Pretty different. Um, they listen to me a bit more and respect me. I think partially because they don't entirely understand me. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, they're more like what like what is this person doing instead of like oh they're a teacher. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna keep talking to my friends. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and also great for them to see a role model of a young woman mm-hmm. in science yeah. in in nature. who as you put it loves nerding out in nature (laughs) right because I think that's not necessarily seen as being the coolest thing to be doing when you're a middle schooler yeah Uh, totally. so I love it when they get chance to um, look up to you in that role
1: it's so fun and yeah I mean basically what I'm doing with them is just walking through the forest and getting to talk to them about trees and I love talking to people about trees and I love being in the forest and I've gotten to learn a huge amount about fire ecology this year, and so trying to communicate that to people in a simple way is really helpful for me in strengthening and deepening that understanding. Um, And then we get to go and learn more about specific trees. And um, there's, I think the thing that's the most exciting to me about that is then when I get a student who, you know, on the walk back starts peppering me with questions or really starts engaging with me. Um, And I know that a lot of people are paying attention even if they don't come up to me afterwards, but it's especially exciting when I start really getting to get into it with people and be like, oh yeah, you know, like, do you know what a prescribed burn association is? Like, you know that you could actually do this as, you know, your future career or like how you spend a lot of your time or like you could learn a lot more about this like there's a lot here Mm -hmm. um yeah also I've um I really try to emphasize fire as a traditional land management practice and incorporate traditional ecological knowledge and I've had multiple students come up to me and say like oh did you know that I'm actually native Mm -hmm. and then we talk about that too and that's really really cool Um, they, and I think seeing that makes me feel really grateful because it shows that they feel comfortable and and proud to talk to me about that, which is super meaningful so mm.
0: I know one of the things that I feel like I've benefited from in having your presence here is that um, we had worked with the Hopland Band of Pomo Indians on our land acknowledgement but is well recognised that a land acknowledgement on its own is really doing nothing Yeah. and you and I have talked uh, you encouraged me to think about how we share that with our youth groups as well mm-hmm. because it's important Yeah. and we talked through um, both together and with um, our uh, wonderful um, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer um, Ramon Billy from the Hopland Band of Pomo Indians about how can we have those conversations with school groups and mm-hmm. I feel like you and I have worked on that through the year and mm-hmm. we're still figuring out how does this work <laughs> What what's yeah. right but we, we know yeah. that it's important partly because of the experiences also in having student feedback and students feeling happier and more comfortable to be here.
1: Yeah, and when we were at the Earth Day, there were multiple, like all of the students that came up to me that I was talking about fire signs with were like, oh, we came to your site for lambing. And so that building of um, relationships and and connections is super, yeah, it's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I think those are the main things. Um, And then your other question was about what I'm thinking about going forward, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: (laughs) So um, I am planning on being intentionally jobless for a while, which I'm super excited about. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, (laughs) lots of people are listening and thinking, what does this even mean?
1: (laughs) Well, I've been thinking a lot about the way that I communicate about this because I have this desire to sort of, justify or couch what I want to be doing in a, in a way that seems like the most impressive or prestigious or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, because that's what I've been conditioned to do. Um, and so there are many ways that I can talk about it, but basically, um, through my time here, I've been thinking a lot about how important it is for me to um, understand more about my family's past and my personal sort of legacy in the way that I come to this work being um, of pretty much entirely European descent um, and trying to understand more where my history lies in relation to um, the work that I've been doing and trying to build more of an understanding of like my family's traditional relations to land um especially like most of my family is from Estonia so like pre um Christianization there's a long history of tree worship there um this is sort of tangential because like the main thing that I would say that I'm going to be doing is like historic or not is intentionally jobless but also with the main thing that I'm doing being focusing on my art. Mm. Um, and so what I'm talking about with ancestry is like part of what I want to be doing as sort of like uh, part of the research component or the um, one of the topics that I will use to be inspired to create things. Um, but yeah, thinking about my ancestry, thinking about, um, you know, reading so many of these different amazing resources that I've seen over the year and over, you know, my entire time in college that I haven't gotten the chance to. Um, I also realized, I mean, one of the things that I love about this place is, um, how beautiful it is and how many trees there are. Um, so I majored in biology and minored in studio art, but I also made an art thesis and, you know, art is an incredibly important part of my life too and I realized that besides the semester that I made my art thesis I haven't really focused on art as my priority for an extended period of time before and so I felt like I owed that to myself to um, you know if I have a good place to be and I don't have to be making a lot of money Mm -hmm. um, it would be really good for me to be doing that Um, and so The, yeah, focusing on art, thinking about ancestry, thinking about um, building relationships. My art is a focus or an exploration of and a a deepening of my relationship to land um, using trees as my focal point. So what that looks like is um, primarily going out into, um, you know, going out, being outside, Sitting with trees, drawing them, interacting with them, spending time with them, um, as a way to develop my relationship with place and my knowledge of an area, think about what it's like to be rooted like a tree, Mm -hmm. um, and to be in relation to all these other creatures. Um... And that's something that I've been really excited about doing here, but having a full-time job makes it really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And so I'm really excited to be doing that in sort of a a longer format um, where I can be focusing for that, Mm -hmm. focusing on that as my my primary thing. Also, you know, working at or volunteering at Urban Gardens and, um, you know, community organizing political stuff um trying to learn more about um various networks of mutual aid where i grew up in berkeley and in the east bay um and spending time with my friends and loved ones Mm -hmm. uh, for a while and then seeing where i go from there i think more broadly in the future my um the things that i'm using to decide my next steps are building skills in order to be a useful member of a community um, in relation to climate resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so that looks like um, more specialized knowledge relation in relation to land management and ecology um, and then also sort of more generalized or fundamental knowledge in relation mm-hmm. to um Carpentry, construction, and then also medicine and agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so um, building those skills, building sort of more local networks and and Mm -hmm. systems of sustenance, doing a lot of traveling Mm -hmm. um, whenever possible, when appropriate, Mm -hmm. Um, and having fun being outside a lot <laughs> especially now I love hearing yeah. you share that
0: because I mm-hmm. think when you first say and again I think this is worth recognizing that generational difference right yeah. that, that first I think oh my goodness no but you must have a job <laughs> oh, you must have a job but then when I hear you talking about it what I hear is you talking about this building your skills yeah to be the most value to your community yeah. and I feel like that totally turns on its head mm-hmm. the kind of way that I first go to it and think no <laughs> oh, well, no you must you must you must be of use you should tell and that that's to ex- my mom too <laughs> <laughs> no she understands yeah but I do think that the way you then express that is is showing that this is not a way of Getting off the ride—it's absolutely a part of being a very functioning and valuable member of community, and that's what you care about. Absolutely, yeah. So I know we're getting up to the end of the ecology hour, and um. I just wanted, you know, to kind of finish off by also recognizing that one of the reasons why we're able to have Grizzly core fellows like yourself here is because of the fabulous donors who support um, the Hopland Research and Extension Center um, and enables us to, um, I know, I know, Chloe, you don't get paid a huge amount in <laughs> your fellow position, but it, we are able to provide housing and there is at least a stipend that allows mm. you to be able to to, to make it through the year right Absolutely. yeah, yeah. That, that helps you get yeah. through mm-hmm. um, and so that is heavily um, supported by our donors to the Hopland Scholars Fund and we are coming up on our annual fundraiser at which you can meet the fantastic Chloe who will be <laughs> leading a field session out into the field to um, do some work on oak restoration um, and so that's going to be on uh, May 21st from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. will be an opportunity to go out in the field and get hands-on with some of the research projects here. And then 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. will be the fun bit where we get to eat delicious food and drink wonderful wines um, and uh, hear more about the programs and see if you uh, folks who are attending want to support those programs. So I do encourage folks, if you're interested in joining that, do take a look on our website, that's the Hopland Research and Extension Center. And Chloe, I just want to say a huge thank you to you for being Grizzly Core Fellow for us this year. And I'm really excited about what you go on to do because I know it's going to be of huge value. I know how much value it's been here. So I know it's going to be a great value. And also, I think it will be fun. Hopefully we'll be able to show a picture of one of your amazing pieces of artwork on our social media. So take a look at the Hopland Research and Extension Centre on um, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and we'll, we'll share one of those pictures out. Yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. It was wonderful to talk. Well, thank you so much to Chloe for sharing her amazing resources, her talents, her time with us this year. It's been wonderful to have Chloe as a Grizzly Core fellow at the Hopland Research and Extension Center. And again, a thank you to our donors who were able to support Chloe accessing this opportunity on our site. And a last thing to mention, we do have a couple of exciting events coming up at the Hopland Research and Extension Center on the 15th of May. We have a pond restoration workshop, and that's going to be for any landowners who are interested to think about how they could do restoration work on freshwater bodies that might be on their property. Creeks, ponds, streams. We'll be able to talk with you on the day about how you can start with some restorative activities on those water sources. And we also are running up to our fundraiser on May 21st. We'd love to see you there. You can find out more details on our website at hrec.ucanr.edu. We look forward to being on the airwaves again next month for the Ecology Hour, hosted by me, Hannah Bird. We'll see you then.